Amen. Feel free to take a seat. This morning we continue in our sermon series on Abraham. And as we transition from a time of worship through music uh, to a time of worship through the preaching of God's word, I wanna invite you to follow along with me uh, so that we can read our passage this morning together. It comes from the book of Genesis chapter 12. We will begin in verse 10 and go through verse 20. And you can follow along in your copy of God's word or you can follow along on the screens as well. It says this, Genesis 12, 10. Now there was a famine in the land and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. Say you are my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarah was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh and she was taken into his palace. He treated Abram well for her sake and Abram required, acquired sheep and cattle male and female donkeys, male and female servants and camels. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abram. What have you done to me? He said, why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her to be my wife? Now then, here's your wife. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men, and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word, that we have full confidence in it, God, that in your word is the inerrant truth in all that we need for life. It teaches us about who you are, God. It teaches us about how we are, and it teaches us how to navigate this world, God. Lord, I pray for Pastor Kevin as he preaches this morning that you would use him, that he would be an instrument for your kingdom. God, that he would edify your bride through his words today. And Holy Spirit, that you would give us eyes to see as we study this passage together, that you would open the eyes of our hearts, God. You would convict us, encourage us, and help us to know you better and live in a way that might honor you, God. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> thank you so much, Stephen. And thank you for being here in worship today. And if you are in our overflow room or if you're watching us online right now, we want to say welcome as well. We are continuing a series that we started last week on Abraham uh, called Developing a Faith for All Seasons. And today we are looking at what happens when faith <clears throat> is overwhelmed by our fears. So if you were here last week, you know that we talked about when things are generally going well in our lives, it is easy to say, God, I trust you. God, you are good. When things are going well, it's easy to have strong faith. So when finances are good or when our health is good or when our family relationships are good, in those times, we are able to say, God, I trust you. Everything's going well. I trust you. However, when things turn south when finances aren't so good or when the doctor re 
doctor's report comes back and it's not so good or when our family relationships are not so good, it is easy in those times for fear to overwhelm our faith, which is exactly what we saw in the passage that Stephen just read. Abraham, this one of great faith, the patriarch of the Jewish people, the father of the nation of Israel, who last week demonstrated this incredible faith to leave his homeland and to go where God said, I will lead you to a place that I will show you. This week we see where Abraham has his fears overwhelm his faith. So if you were not here last week, let me just catch you up to speed. Last week, we talked about Abraham, the father of the Jewish people, and his call by God to leave where he was living at the time and to go to this place where God would show him. Abraham, at that point, was living in a place called Haran to the north of Canaan, north of Israel, uh, in what is southern-day Turkey. And God comes to him and says, I want you to leave and go to this land that I will show you. And he specifically says, I want you to leave three things behind. Number one, I want you to leave the land, this place that is familiar to you, this land that you know well. Leave this land and go to this place that I will show you. Secondly, leave your family. Leave your extended family behind. Leave your people, these people that you know well. Thirdly, leave your inheritance. That was not as much a financial inheritance as it was his place in history, being remembered as part of the line of his family. And all of these came with a promise. Leave the land and I will give you a better land. Leave your family and I will make you into a great nation of people. Leave your inheritance or being remembered in your place in history and I will make your name great. God promised Abraham, you leave and I'm going to give you all these things. And Abraham demonstrated incredible faith. Abraham said, sure, I will leave all of this behind. God, I will follow you. I will go. And then he gets to Canaan, to this land where God said, this is the place I want you to go. And he arrives and his faith gives way to fear. And understandably so. In the passage that you just heard Stephen read, It begins in this surprising way. God says, go, I'm going to give you a better land. Leave this land, I'm going to take you to a better place. And then the passage opens in verse 10 and says this. Now there was a famine in the land. Abraham arrived in the promised land and the promised land didn't look so promising. There was a famine in the land. And then you add to this what we read last week, that he arrived in this place and it was not empty. There were Canaanites in the land. The Canaanites were not welcoming Abraham with open arms. The Canaanites would later become his enemies and the enemies of his descendants. God says, I want you to go to this place. I have a better plan for you. And he gets there and there's no food And there are enemies in the land. In other words, the deal didn't work out how he thought the deal would work out. Circumstances were not at all like he expected. Things were not going his way. 
And so again, understandably so, <clears throat> Abraham was thrown off balance. Go here, God says, and Abraham gets here, and here isn't what he expected at all. And there were at this point a lot of questions, I'm sure, that bubbled up in his mind. And the, the emotion of fear begins to wrap around his heart. Abraham, this incredibly strong faith that he exhibited in the previous verses now gives way to fear. Why? Because his circumstances had changed. I completely get this. I have experienced this in my own life. When things are going well, it's easy to say, God, I trust you. I see your plan. When circumstances are not as I think they should be, and it's difficult to say, God, I still trust you. Last week, I briefly mentioned several years ago, right after Katie and I were first married, when we felt the Lord calling us to go and serve with a missions organization overseas in Rome, Italy. God made it absolutely clear, this is what I want you to do. A few weeks after we arrived, Katie had a medical issue and we needed to see a doctor about it. It was not serious, but it was, it was enough that we needed to make an appointment and just get it analyzed and to, and to see what was going on. However, we as non-Italian citizens were not able to participate in their medical system that they offer to the public there. We had to go to a private clinic. We could not just go to any doctor. So we had to look it up and figure out where we could go, where we would be accepted, where a doctor would see her. And it was a whole lot just to figure that out. And we called and we made the appointment and it was the next day or two days later. And remember now, this was before iPhones and Maps apps and Waze or whatever other app there is to tell you exactly how to get where you need to go. We had a paper map. I don't think they make those anymore a paper map of the city. The other thing that we did not have was a car. We had to take public transportation to try to get to this doctor's office armed with just a paper map and an address, trying to pinpoint exactly where it was. So we got on a bus that took us to a subway, that took us to this tram, that took us to the other side of the city. And you guys have for those of you that have visited Rome before, you've been there. I know what you did when you got there. You went to the Colosseum and you went over to the Forum and you went to Circus Maximus and you did all the touristy things and you went over to St. Peter's and you went to the Vatican and you walked through and you toured all of that, the museum, and you thought, this is the coolest place in the world. Those are the touristy spots. That's not all of the city. Where we ended up was this dilapidated, run-down, rough part of town that did not look at all like the Rome you see on the postcards. It looked like a, like a scene out of the 70s sitcom, Welcome Back, Cotter. And if you've never seen that, just go look it up. It, it was rough. <clears throat> and we were lost. We spent two and a half hours trying to find this doctor's office late for the appointment and we never could find it. And we're in this rough part of the city. And at one point, Katie just sat down on the sidewalk and she said, I'm done. I'm completely done. I'm ready to go home. And I thought she meant home to our apartment in Rome. She didn't mean that at all. 
She meant home to, to the United States where she could get to a doctor and see a doctor when she needed to see a doctor. Truth is, I kind of agreed with her. And, and this was not a serious issue, but had it been a serious issue and we needed immediate medical help, I didn't know what to do. I don't think 911 works in other countries. I wasn't sure what we would do if a situation arose. And my faith that this was where God wanted us to be began to give way to fear of the what ifs. What if something happens? What if we can't get help? What if God doesn't take care of us? And I was about this close to getting us a cab or some kind of transportation to the airport and purchasing two one-way tickets back to the United States. But I'm glad I didn't. God had a plan and a purpose in all of that. And although that day wasn't what I expected and circumstances were not ideal, God had a plan in it all. And that was true in Abraham's life as well. God had a purpose in leading him to this land that had a famine. And it wasn't that God was playing games with Abraham. It wasn't some kind of trick that God was trying to play on Abraham. It wasn't that God was saying, hey, Abraham, I'm going to lead you to this land that's a better place. Go to this promised land, this better place. And then Abraham arrives and there's a famine and God says, oh, wasn't that funny? LOL, Abraham. It was a trick. God wasn't doing that at all. Simply put, this was a test of Abraham's faith. And God was saying, Abraham, you believed me, you trusted me enough to leave this land that was familiar to you, to go to this place that I would show you. But if you got there and everything was rainbows and unicorns and waterfalls and lush green pastures, you would look at this land and you would say, thank you so much, God, for giving me this land. I've got it from here. I don't need you anymore. I can handle it from this point forward. And so Abraham, here's what I need to know. Will you trust me? Not just when things are going well, but when there's a famine in the land and things do not look like they're going your way. I need you to trust me even in the rough times. Abraham, this was not the biggest test that he would face. The biggest test of his faith that he would face would come a couple of decades later. Um, in a story that we will read about on Easter Sunday, about eight weeks from now, he passes that test. This one he does not. He fails this test of faith. And before any of us start to judge Abraham, we've all been there. We've all done the exact same thing. In fact, if you have followed Christ for more than about a week, you've experienced moments like this in your life where your circumstances, your situation, whatever is going on in your life causes fear to overwhelm your faith in God. And you begin to make choices based out of fear rather than out of faith. When you do that, there are several things that you will do, and we see these in the passage. This is on your message map, if you've got that with you. When fear trumps my faith, number one, I will look for refuge in the world. For I will seek comfort and refuge in the world. Look at verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while, 
because the famine was severe. Now again, we read this passage and none of us in a way can blame Abraham. He gets to the land and there's a famine and he's got to eat. He has to provide for his family. He has to figure out a way to get food. However, he did not have to leave Canaan. It may have been a struggle for a while. It may have been tough, but he needed to stay where God said, this is a place I want you to go. Instead, he goes off to Egypt a place God did not tell him to go. And that phrase, live there for a while, has a very specific meaning that we would translate something like resident alien. Meaning, this is more than just a week-long visit. He wasn't just a tourist going to Egypt. He went and he lived there for a while. He didn't just visit Egypt. In some ways, he became Egyptian. He took on their customs and their values. When fear trumped his faith, Abraham retreated to the world to find comfort. John 15, Jesus tells his followers this. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. In other words, when you decide to follow Christ in your life, there should be this tension between you and the culture around us. There should be a level of discomfort with the world. Jesus said the world hates you. If it hated me, it will hate you as well. Therefore, there should be this tension. But when fear begins to trump our faith, there is the temptation to seek comfort in a world that should be discomforting to us. And yet we will seek answers and security and comfort in that world. Do not do that. God has called you to Canaan. Stay in Canaan. Do not retreat to Egypt. Stay in the place where God has called you. So first of all, we'll see, we seek refuge in the world. Secondly, We, when fear trumps my faith, I will make decisions like the world. So it was bad enough that Abraham decided to head down to Egypt to find food and safety in Egypt. It was bad enough he did that, but then on the way to Egypt, he comes up with this plan that he thinks will save his life. Look at verse 11. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife, then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. So they're heading along and Abraham says, honey, you're very beautiful. So far, so good. If he had stopped there, Everything would have been fine. But his next sentence is where everything gets dicey. You're very beautiful. Therefore, other people in Egypt will desire you. So tell them you're my sister. Otherwise, they'll kill me and just take you. Now, there are a couple of things that we need to to get some background information on before we move on. The first thing is this. Technically, what Abraham said to Sarah and the whole scheme there, technically that wasn't a lie or a a full lie. It was a half-truth. 
Sarah was actually his half-sister. I know you think, wait a second, that is gross. I can't believe that. That's actually in the Bible. He married his half-sister. In that day, in ancient times, it was not that uncommon, especially in a culture where the population was, was lower. You would see that happen. So it was a half-lie. However, it was a full lie in the sense that he didn't tell the whole truth. It was a sin of omission by not saying, hey, she is, in fact, my wife. The other thing that you need to know about this that may be a little confusing to us is the comment about Sarah being a very beautiful woman and so beautiful that her beauty would threaten his life. Abraham at this point was 75 years old. Sarah was 65 years old. And so for us in our modern culture and our modern mindset, we say, wait a second. She may have been a beautiful woman, but so beautiful that it would threaten Abraham's safety at 65 years old? Except that word beautiful there can also mean striking or regal. There was almost this timeless beauty to Sarah. So much so that Abraham felt threatened by her beauty. And so he says to Sarah, here's the plan. We're going to tell everyone that you are my sister, not my wife. Rather than trusting in God to protect him, he comes up with this scheme and he lies to protect his own life. There is this truth that I have learned over the years that has proven itself time and time again. And that is this, just be honest, tell the truth, don't cheat, don't scheme, don't lie, whether it's in school or in your business or on your taxes or on your resume, just be honest and then let God handle the results. If you do everything right and you don't get the job, or you don't do well on the test, or you have to pay more taxes, or whatever else happens, if, if that happens, at least you can still hold your head high. But if you lie and you cheat and you scheme, and it comes out at that point, when life comes crashing down around you, you're also embarrassed about <clears throat> your actions. Which is exactly what we see happening next in the life of Abraham. So. When faith trumps my, when fear trumps my faith, thirdly, I will also suffer like the world. Look at verse 14. When Abram came to Egypt, <clears throat> the Egyptians saw that Sarah was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh and she was taken into his palace. Now the writer here doesn't give us insight into exactly what Abraham was thinking. What was this plan and what did he think would happen if he lied and told everybody that she was just his sister and not his wife? However, I think, I think that this is what he was thinking. That he thought, we'll get to Egypt and we will say, she is my sister, not my wife. And because she is beautiful, various suitors will come and they will make offers. They will try to negotiate. Hey, we would like we would like your sister. I would like your sister. Can 
We make a deal here. What can we work out? And I think that Abraham thought that all of that would take time. And by the time it got to the point that a deal would need to happen, he and Sarah could get out of Egypt and get back to Canaan. What Abraham did not count on was one of Pharaoh's officials seeing Abraham and seeing Sarah spotting her, noticing her beauty, then going back to Pharaoh and going, hey, there's this brother and sister that came into the land from Canaan. And I got to tell you, Pharaoh, the sister is beautiful. And Pharaoh, I think she's just, you know, right up your alley. And because the Pharaoh is Pharaoh and he's got all the power and you can't tell the Pharaoh what to do and what not to do. And because he can move quickly, Pharaoh then takes her into his harem. He marries Sarah. She becomes his wife. Suddenly Abraham has lost his wife all because of this scheme. I think he was taken by surprise. And instead of trusting in God, his fear led him to make this decision and it brought disastrous consequences into the life of Abraham. Here's, here's what all of us need to remember. Every command that we find in scripture, so all the verses that say thou shalt and thou shalt not, every one of those comes from the heart of a God who loves us and created us and understands how we operate best. There are no commands, rules, or guidelines in Scripture that are there just flippantly, randomly. God does not give anything in Scripture out of a sense of, hey, how can I steal your fun? Like some great cosmic killjoy who says, ooh, let's play around with all these humans and see how miserable we can make them. Every command comes from a God who says, I love you, and if you will live your life in this way, life will go better for you. But when fear trumps our faith, we think that God doesn't have our best in mind. And so we violate his commands, and so often when we do, it causes disastrous consequences in our lives, just like it did for Abraham. All right, number four. When fear trumps my faith, I will receive the, quote, blessings of the world. All right, look at verse 16. He, talking about Pharaoh, treated Abram well for her sake, for Sarah's sake, and Abram acquired sheep and cattle and male and female donkeys, male servants and female servants and camels. So you read these words and you think, well, wait a second. I know Abraham lost his wife, but in the process, he became a very wealthy man. He acquired livestock and servants. I mean, he lost Sarah, but he got all of this wealth. It would be the equivalent today of getting several million dollars. I mean, he became a very wealthy man. So here's our question for all of the married men in here. Would you give up your wife for a couple million dollars? Now, before you answer, hold on. I see that hand. Thank you. Enjoy your afternoon. Before the rest of you answer, let me warn you, this is only a hypothetical question and there's no actual money on the table, meaning there's one right answer. 
No, honey, not at no. <laughs> On the surface, it seems that Abraham gets lots of so-called blessings because he lied and schemed. He did what was wrong and he gets all of these blessings. But here's what you need to keep in mind. All of these great riches and gifts that Pharaoh gave to Abraham would later prove to cause great problems in his life. The livestock that he inherited, that he, that he got, would later cause him and Lot to separate and that caused a lot of problems. Uh, more significantly, he in, in Egypt acquired a maidservant named Hagar. Hagar would later become the mother of Abraham's son, Ishmael, and this would cause tremendous strife in his family. All of these blessings would later become weights and burdens in his life. There is this phrase I have heard so many times in my life. The phrase goes like this, be careful what you hope for in life because you might just get it. And that can be so true. I remember years ago in a former church, I sat down with a guy who was incredibly wealthy. He had been so successful, everything he touched turned to gold. And I remember sitting there with him at lunch and I was a, a little envious. I mean, the guy just seemed to have everything. And over the course of this lunch, he began to pour his heart out to me about all of the problems that he had in his family and how so many of those issues and problems were directly linked to the financial success that he had had. And then I remember he said this. He said, you know, back when my wife lived in our tiny little two-bedroom apartment, life was so much better. I was actually happier back then. We go after these things in life that the world says you've got to chase after these if you want happiness. And so often we get them and we discover that they're not what the world said they would be. And instead of bringing joy and happiness, they become weights and burdens in our life. When fear trumps faith, you will go after those things of the world and you may just get them. All right, number five. When fear trumps my faith, I will bring curses on the world. All right, so we want to back up just a little bit to our passage from last week and look at the promise that God gave to Abraham, specifically verses two and three. Here's what God said. You, Abraham, will be a blessing and all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham, this is not just a promise. These are your marching orders. You are to be a blessing. You're not just this passive recipient of this promise. This is what you are to go and do. You are to be a blessing to the world. Then fear trumps his faith. And here's what happened. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarah. God called Abram to be a light to the world, to bring joy and hope to the peoples of the earth. And instead here, his actions brought judgment to Pharaoh and to his whole household. More specifically, it brought serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household. This was more than just a common cold. Whatever it was, they were serious and they were likely very painful. 
And since it happened all of a sudden and happened to more than just one person, but an entire household, Pharaoh was easily able to connect this judgment of God with the actions of Abraham. And the next verses we read where Pharaoh says, why did you do this? Why did you say that she was your sister and not your wife? And Pharaoh says, get out. Get out of Egypt. You don't even have to give me the stuff back. Take the stuff. Keep the stuff. Just get out of Egypt before sundown. If you're a follower of Christ, those verses in, in 2 and 3 uh, are promises to us as well. That we are to be a light to the world. That we are to be a blessing to other people as well. And, and here's how. Before you became a follower of Christ, you had your heart darkened by sin. You were a slave to sin. Before you became a follower of Christ, you were not interested in anyone else. You were only interested in what was good for you. But when you become a follower of Christ, you become a new creation. You get a brand new heart. You get the Holy Spirit residing inside you. And this new creation, this new heart that comes from Christ is meant to be a blessing to the world around you. You're looking out for the interests of others. You're sharing the light of Christ with others. But here's what happens. When fear trumps our faith, then, then we begin to act in ways that instead of bringing blessings to others, it brings curses to others. I served in a former church where there was a husband and father in that church who decided to leave his family for, leave his wife and leave his family for another woman. He did not bring blessings on his family. His decision brought pain and heartache, not just in that family, but in a wider church family as well, as his actions brought all kinds of consequences into that family. Any time that we choose to operate out of fear over faith, it has consequences not just in our own lives, but in those around us as well. And then finally, here's the last thing. When fear trumps my faith, I will be condemned by the world. Go to verse 18. So Pharaoh summoned Abram. Why, what have you done to me? He said, why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her to be my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. Here Pharaoh recognized the deception of Abraham, the lies of Abraham, and that it was directly because Abraham lied that Pharaoh was now experiencing sickness for himself and his entire household. Here's the irony we see in this passage that Abraham, the father of the Jewish people, the patriarch, the one of great faith, is being condemned by this ungodly king of Egypt for acting immorally. When Christians act unchristian, even the world will sit up and judge us for it. Even the world that will look at you and say, Come on, participate in what we're participating in 
Everybody's doing it. We we want you to come and to engage in what we are doing. They will beg and they will plead you, but then when you do it, invariably, they will laugh at you and they will condemn you for it. In other words, the world might hate you for standing up for what you believe in, for your faith in Christ, but at least they will respect you for it. And when we allow fear to trump our faith, even the world will judge us for our actions. So here's the big takeaway for all of us today. We have all at times allowed fear to trump our faith. And we, like Abraham, have gone in a bad direction. We have made decisions that we wish we had never made. We have experienced consequences that we, we, we wish that we never have to experience. We have suffered as a result of our sin. When we do that, there is only one appropriate response. We see that in Abraham's life in verse, verse 1 of the next chapter. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. Abraham returned to the place where he should have stayed in the first place. Abraham returned back to Canaan, to the land where God said, this is the place that I want you to go. Whenever we blow it, Whenever we sin, whenever we run from God, whenever our faith is weak, there is one response, and that is to return to Him. That is to return to the altar of worship, to say to God, I am sorry, and God, I have learned my lesson, and I am repenting, and I am accepting the forgiveness that you give. I want to close with a quote from Warren Wearsby, a pastor and well-renowned author, who about this passage said this, the practical lesson from all of this is simply never abandon your altar. Stay in fellowship with the Lord no matter what the circumstances may be. If you have disobeyed and God is disciplining you, go back to the place where you left him and make things right. Remember the victorious Christian life is a series of new beginnings. That is not an excuse for sin but it is an encouragement for repentance. Whenever fear trumps our faith, what's the one response? It is repentance.